We all have things we could look back on and feel embarrassed about, humiliated, regret, wish it wouldn't have happened, or we're so angry that it did happen, right? And this includes some of the trauma, tragedy, stuff that has happened to us that we couldn't control. It's like, well, do you want to let it continue to control your life by being angry or upset about it forever? Or do you want to figure out how you can let go of it and move on in a way that allows you to accept it, but not be obsessed with it and continue to dictate what's going to go on in your life? Because then they become things that didn't just happen once or in the past. You're dragging it along into your future. Welcome back to Experable. I'm your host, Krati Mehra. And in this show, we learn from the success and struggles of people we admire and dive deep into concepts that help us expand the possibilities available to us so we can freely, boldly design the life we desire, discover the depth and breadth of our capabilities, access the wisdom available in the world around us, and even on really bad days, love what we see in the mirror. Are you ready? Let's go. Today, I am sharing with you my conversation with Elizabeth D'Alto, a conversation where we discuss everything from soul love, the wisdom that our subconscious holds, working through pain and trauma, trusting our intuition, a self-love framework that nurtures and protects, but also creates accountability and growth, and also ghosts and spirits. This was an amazing conversation. I think it's a conversation that you sit and spend time with. It is one to reflect on and then decide what pieces you want to keep, which ones you want to adapt, and what needs further exploration. And I cannot wait to share this with you, but before we dive in, let me share some details about our guest. Known for her raw, honest, and nuanced approach to spirituality and the healing arts, Elizabeth D'Alto is an embodiment specialist, a mystic, a writer, and host of the Embodied Podcast, which has over 4 million downloads. In 2013, Elizabeth founded what has now evolved into the School of Sacred Embodiment, blending together her extensive training and practice in body movement and energy work. Her specialty is helping people integrate their physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual selves to embody and express their true purpose and power. Now, without further delay, let's dive into the conversation. Before we dive into any deeper questions, I would like to understand what the School of Sacred Embodiment is all about and what led to its incorporation. I know there's a very interesting yeah. story there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So I actually, back in my 20s, I was a personal trainer and a group fitness instructor. Mm-hmm. And so I was, and I've always been an athlete. I've always worked out and stuff like that. So I've always been into the body. And in my 20s, as I started to go deeper into my own just like self-discovery, I got more interested in things like psychology and energy work. And I was also coming out of a religious upbringing and getting more into developing my own sense of connection with the divine and spirituality and all of that. So I was kind of in this time where my relationship to my own like physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual experience was shifting. And I'm an avid reader always. And, you know, studier and student and, you know, across all the different things that I'm interested in, the number of like trainings and certifications and all of these things that I've done over the years. I don't even remember some of them. Like some people like list all the things they've done on their website. I'm like, couldn't even tell you. <laughs> so um, what but what my brain also loves to do is like synthesize things. Mm-hmm. So as I was still doing my like fitness and health and wellness kind of stuff. 
but I was getting more interested in energy work and healing, I was experimenting with how can we access healing through the body? And I realized a big difference was in the like personal training and health and wellness kind of space, I was paying a lot of attention to my body and bodies, but not really connecting to it, not really listening to it. So it all kind of started with my own, some experiences I had realizing that the body is always communicating with us, right? And so that's how I discovered what embodiment even was, right? Getting out of the head and into the body. And I was coming from a more like mystical place, but then eventually as I got into my 30s and I realized, oh, I have all this trauma and I need to heal this stuff. Uh, I learned more about uh, somatics and the nervous system and stuff like that. So just like each step of the way, I was kind of just integrating the different pieces and the different parts. And as I was going, I was creating programs and courses and stuff like that and working with people in some methodologies and frameworks and things I was creating. So I created my first wild soul movement practice, which combines just a little bit of breath work and use of mantra and meditation with just slow, sensual, gentle movement, mm -hmm. which is not a workout, right? We're not here to like burn calories, reshape our bodies, none of that, but more to just right connect to the body, learn to listen and feel what the body is saying to you. And um, everything just kept developing from there. You know, years later, I would start to work in the Akashic Records and realize like, oh, you know, some people call it channeling, but I'm like, oh, I've, I've always kind of just been accessing like the wisdom of my ancestors, the wisdom of my soul and all these things. And I'm very much an experimenter. So I'm not afraid to try things. I don't mind failing. You kind of learn as you go. And so mm -hmm. as I was developing all these things, uh, it was only last year that I realized like, oh, this is a school. <laughs> okay. Because I, I, I had all these things and I'm like, oh, like it's kind of a mystery school, but very practical and grounded, you know, for people who care about healing, people who care about spirituality, people who care about collective liberation and stuff like that. So as you were saying, like we, we have integrated a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's a cool spectrum of people we serve, right? Some people are very spiritual. Some people are a lot more grounded and practical. Like mm -hmm. no matter where someone lands on that spectrum, we have stuff for a lot of people. Okay. What kind of wisdom are we talking about and where does our body come into it? There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Mm -hmm. Knowledge is anyone can get knowledge from a book, a podcast, a, like, right. We can memorize and regurgitate all kinds of things. Right. Um, and then there are skills, right. Which require practice. And there's a lot of, and this is interesting in the social media age we live in because you see a lot of people, they say a lot of things, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but if you actually go to work with them or you meet them, you can see who's actually embodying stuff, right? And when yes. something is embodied, there's not only knowledge, but there's deep practice, there's experience, there's skill, there's understanding. And wisdom is kind of like not only the accumulation of all of that, mm -hmm. but then as well, we all have our own access to infinite intelligence, if you want to call it that, right? Okay. Like okay. in our soul experiences we've had, whether we remember it specifically or not, you know, we all have ancestors, we're all receiving, you know, anyone who studies brain science knows or consciousness, people always say we're only accessing such a small fraction of our brain. So sure. all that subconscious material, there's wisdom there, 
right? Mm -hmm. All the like intuitive and, and oftentimes it's also just perception, right? Like we are constantly perceiving far more than we could ever articulate. So when I say wisdom, it's an accumulation of your soul's wisdom, which for people who believe in past lives and stuff like that, like we've just been gathering up all these experiences and they exist within us somewhere, right? right. It's a little intangible and esoteric. And then there's the wisdom of our experiences. And then I really do believe we all have, you know, a lot of people who talk about trauma will talk about, you know, the intergenerational trauma. Well, if there's trauma, there's also wisdom. Right. There's also healing. There's also creativity. There's also gifts. So it's kind of like a, an accumulation, a mix of all of those things. Okay. So this wisdom, as you uh, described, this wisdom would be something that would help us get answers that we wouldn't get out of our mundane life, right? So, okay. But whenever we talk about subconscious, we all know that subconscious is super powerful. Like we've heard it from scientists, we've heard from entrepreneurs, and they always credit the their most genius ideas to their subconscious. But we also know that subconscious is where our deepest trauma lives to get the answers mm -hmm. that we need in life. Like, for example, we are taking on big challenges in life. We are... Maybe it's in relationship, maybe it's in business, maybe it's something completely different, maybe we're looking for purpose or whatever. And we are trying to go beyond the surface. And we want to tap into all of that wisdom that, as you say, is available to us. We just have to know how to get it. But mm -hmm. in doing so, as you, I think you would know this so much better than I could ever put it into words, that whenever we go beyond the surface, we are bound to encounter versions of ourselves, past experiences, past trauma. Yeah. So we are going I got to you. So you're yeah. asking like, how do you access the good stuff when the, yeah. the bad stuff lives there too? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah so here's the thing. It's, you're always going to bump into both. And this is the mm -hmm. beautiful thing, right? Because here's something that a lot of people take for granted. And that is such a core in my work and all my frameworks and everything it takes a lot of trust. Right. So in the practical sense, just just some fundamental perspectives really help with it. Like for me, there's a quote, I think it originally is from Byron Katie, maybe that everything is happening for you, mm -hmm. not to you. And some people really don't like that because they feel like it could be like victim blaming. Yeah. But I don't experience it that way. Similarly, there's a quote like God never gives you more than you can handle. Here, here's my thing with all of that. The way I've translated it and I like to look at it is if this is the thing that's happening right now, it's exactly what needs to be happening. And the reason why is because in a very practical way, people waste so much time trying to understand the why behind things that you're never going to understand the why behind it, right? Yeah. Especially tragedy yeah. and trauma, mm -hmm. right? Like the question, why me? right? And the question of deserving, who deserves this, who deserves that? No one, even, even people who do terrible things don't deserve terrible things to happen to them, right? Because people who do terrible things are doing terrible things because they are not okay, right? Yeah. You know, we hear that thing, that other quote, like hurt people, hurt people, hurt people. Yeah. like all the stuff. If we just come to a core belief or attitude or way of looking at life, like if this is happening, this is what needs mm -hmm, to happen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What that lets us do is surrender and be like, okay, well, this is happening. So instead of wasting energy, attention, and power fighting reality, 
we could be like, all right, well, this is happening. So I can accept that this is what happen is happening. It might really suck. It might really be hard. But if it's happening, let me go through this with as much grace and trust as possible. And a former mentor of mine many years ago used to say confidence comes from evidence. So something I've always loved about that is when I begin to teach people about trust, I always say, think of a time when you had an intuition about something. You just had a hunch or you had a feeling or you just knew something and you couldn't explain how you knew it, but mm. you trusted it. For whatever reason, you decided to trust it and you were so glad you did, right? Everyone has at least one example of that. Most people have many. Everyone also has at least one, if not many examples. And in some cases, more of this side of it, where you had a hunch, you knew something, you had a feeling, you had an intuition, and you overrode it, right? Mm -hmm. You let your logical mind talk you out of it, and you did something else, yeah. and there was a consequence. Yeah. And you were like, damn, really wish I would have listened to myself, right? Yeah. I always give those examples because that gives people the evidence that they can, in fact, trust their intuitive hunches or their feelings or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, here's the thing, though. Most people want that to lead to always having the outcomes that you want. Right. And everything always being positive and pleasant. And yeah. that's just not how life works. That's not how we grow. Like we need friction for growth. Yeah. So to come back to the question, I personally, when I bump into unpleasant stuff, traumas, whatever, I'm, I'm so happy that I'm able to now face it, move through it, work through it, and then be, be through it at some point and have the an understanding that I wouldn't have had if it hadn't come to the surface. So another way of describing this is a lot of people who get a little obsessive about healing, mm -hmm. they, they, they do what I call excavating. They're like searching and digging and looking for stuff to like analyze and pull apart and heal. My thing is always work with what's right up in front of your face, yeah. right? Because the obvious thing, and this is part of that divine timing, right? If it's obvious, if it's bothering you, if it's continuously coming up now, that's life's way of being like, this is the thing that needs your attention. Work on this. It might not be sexy. It might not be exciting. But if it's coming up, yeah. if it's bothering you, if it's persistent, deal with it because that's the obvious thing. So it's, it's always a mix. And so this is how we build... And this is what I love about working through the body because you will feel things, you know, whether it's an emotion, right? Like, which, have you ever heard of the feelings wheel? Yes. So there's only like six basic emotions. I think yeah. it's something yeah. like sad, angry, happy, uh, disgust. Like I always forget what they actually are. And then every other emotion kind of stems out from those core emotions. Mm -hmm. And there's a difference between your feelings and your emotions, right? And more recently, I learned from a friend of mine, Veronica Marquez, there's also a big difference between your perceptions and emotions, right? Like what you perceive is happening and what you are actually feeling. Yeah. And then as well, and I teach this in my school, there's also uh, like feeling states, right? Like being tired, right? Being hot, being cold, having a tingling sensation, like your energy is high, your energy is low, I'm drained, whatever. Yeah. So to kind of learn how to name and suss out all these different things and notice your own personal patterns kind of helps you evaluate what you have capacity for. Obviously in practical terms, what we have time for, mm -hmm. um, yeah. what we're able to handle, what we're not. You could tap into your nervous system, right? Like realize how much something affects you or how much something doesn't affect you. And so um, 
because all this stuff kind of lives in the same realm, like you're saying, calling it the subconscious or whatever you want to call it, whatever's up on the chopping block, if it's good, bad, or ugly, is worth your time, effort, energy, and attention. And because those things are always connected, um, there's also another, obviously, again, I'm quoting a thousand people because I read so much and I'm such a nerd. Um, there's a book called The Prophet by Khalil Gibran yes. that a lot of people have probably Amazing read. Book. Yeah. Amazing book. And my favorite passage in the book is about how your joy lives right next to your grief. So the beautiful thing about it is the, the more that we grieve, which people will often want to avoid the negative feelings, right? Grief, anger, sadness, th yeah. these things. The more we do that, we also open up our ability to feel more joy because they're connected, right? It's yeah. like the deeper we could go into the yucky stuff, the higher we could go into the beautiful stuff or, yeah. or wider. Like it's not about like high or low or whatever, but some people perceive it that way. So what's beautiful is because we exist in like a dual reality, if you're working on this, you're also working on the other thing, even if it doesn't feel like it. And if you trust, right? Because again, we can all always do this reflection where we look back and go, man, at the time that was so horrible or it was the worst thing that ever happened to me. But I'm, but look who I am now. Like, look who I became because I had to go through that. Or look what I learned or look who I met in that process that I couldn't live without, you know? Yeah. So um, half the time I'm just selling people on the worthwhileness of facing unpleasant things. <laughs> yeah, for sure. What you shared is so incredibly beautiful, first of all. And your the way you view the world is so beautiful that if you could adopt that, I think that would really simplify life. But we started with this idea that when you tell people that, oh, this happened for a reason or there is some good in it, they, they get their back up and they're very defensive around it, as you mentioned, victim blaming and all that. I do believe that I think this is it's it started with our generation, like millennials, um, and it's just getting worse and worse and worse. There's no accountability. There is no at no point do we stop and consider that the way our life is set up is because of us. At no point do yeah. we admit that there is a limitation to how much we know. I mean, we are talking about wisdom that is that requires, as you said, so much surrender. If you have a very high idea of your of your own power and your own domination over your own life, I'm guessing that's going to be very hard for you to do, for you to surrender to the extent where you're letting all of this wisdom in. So do you believe that accountability has to be a part of your life, has to be a part of how you meet yourself even if that means you are, you do have to indulge in a degree of self-blame. Because to me, it yeah. feels like when you blame yourself, well, not in a in a, like a self-denigrating way, but if you blame yeah. yourself, aiming for growth, amazing things can happen. Yeah, and and so I wouldn't use the word blame. I would use the word responsibility. Responsibility, right? Like better. I made that choice. Yeah. That consequence is my responsibility. Like yeah. that happened. I did this, this, and this, and this was the result. And I see, own your part. That's what it's about, right? Because we do live in a world where, you know, there's so much systemic stuff going on that makes it incredibly challenging for individuals to thrive for all kinds of reasons, right? So there are like, there are external things to blame or that are responsible for why some people have access to some things and some choices are easier for some people to make and others, right? Like 
my biggest thing, especially as a person who talks about a lot of spiritual concepts, is we can't bypass that stuff. We have to engage with reality the way it is and acknowledge that we're all working with different lived experiences and some things might be easier for other people than others or harder, even impossible in some cases. And this is a really interesting thing about what you're saying. A lot of people don't want to accept that some stuff just is not going to be accessible for them, right? Because, and especially here in the U.S. with like this whole American dream, there's also like, that's not even self-determination. In some cases, it's entitlement. Like people think they should be able to access and have and be and do everything and whatever they want. But when it's not considering how it impacts the collective and the people around you, or how some people are delusional trying to do things just because other people do them and they've convinced themselves that that's what they want and they think they're supposed to, and then they fail, they'll feel bad about themselves instead of going, oh, that approach wasn't for me or that path wasn't for me, right? So it's a combination of things. We need to take responsibility for ourselves. I'm often talking about, I call it the ABCs, actions, behaviors, and choices. We always have to take responsibility for those things because sometimes they're out of our control, right? For example, when someone does have a lot of trauma in their system and their nervous system is easily triggered or hijacked, right? Like that amygdala, that like fear center of the brain will take over and all of a sudden you're saying and doing things that you're like, you're reacting rather than responding. Um, and that might be the kind of stuff that you can't control in the moment, but later on you're gonna have to clean up that mess or you're gonna have to do something about it, um, maybe apologize to yourself or other people. Like there's consequences. People don't wanna deal with the consequences. And also people don't realize how many choices they do have, right? Like not all choices are available to all people, but all people have way more choices than they usually think they do. So that's the piece about taking responsibility. And there's also something I talk about a lot because I talk about surrender and trust is control. We can't control everything, but we could be honest with ourselves about what we can control and work on that stuff. I do believe like fear is, I think the loudest now because it's just the way I see even younger people interacting with people who clearly have more knowledge than them. That is, I mean, when I was a kid, I used to believe that confident people are aggressive people. Like if I were confident, I would be able to push back harder. I would be able to stand up for myself. When now I realize that so many times when I'm experiencing resistance from people, a lot of the time, I don't even care. I can walk away from it. And I always find that that's, actually me having this idea that I know what I'm doing I'm good with it I don't need you to actually agree with me and mm -hmm. also there is this idea there that you just might be right so I don't have to convince you I have to live through what I'm doing and figure out on the other side of it whether I was right or not if not then I'll figure it out then what my next steps are going to be so just maybe but I feel like as you said like there's such little surrender there is so much fear people are all about having their own voices heard. And I think there is this false certainty that they have all the answers. Yes. That they are completely disregarding everything else. And I think that is very, very dangerous. Why do you think that's happening? And how do we spot it in our own behavior? Because we're so quick to spot it in other people, but not so much when it comes to our own self. And when do we do encounter it, what do we do about it? Because again, the fear is so hard to deal with. 
So I will I have to be honest about something here. I'm not a person. Fear has never really been my thing. I'm I'm pretty big on feel the fear and do it anyway because I love learning. And that's so for people listening, if you can orient yourself towards learning and trusting that there's you're always going to learn something, right? And the worst thing that happens is you fail. You figure out why you failed and then you do better next time, right? Yeah. But for some people, for very legitimate reasons, making mistakes or being wrong about things is like in their mind, the worst thing that could possibly happen because, you know, people who grew up in abusive environments, being wrong could mean incurring violence, like physical, emotional, verbal abuse or violence, right? So a lot of people have constructed their whole life around trying to get everything right so they don't get hurt or so they could be successful, right? Like some people who are achievement oriented, getting things right, they're so attached to that because this is how the system is set up, right? You gotta get the right answers in school. You gotta say the right thing at home so people love you. You gotta say the right answers in the job interview, say the right answers on the test so you can pass, you know, pass this, do that, get into school. Like the, the way things are set up, like the pathways, the socially acceptable pathways to excess, success, make people think they need to be right about everything and that there are huge consequences to ever getting anything wrong. So a lot of those attachments, I just want to acknowledge and have a lot of compassion that it comes from survival. Like for a lot of people, it's attached to survival instinct, right? So it's not even like these entitled millennials. It's like, that's what they learned it needs to be. But now in rebelling against it, there's always these pendulum swings, right? These overcorrections before people can get to like the healthy, balanced, better place for themselves. And the other thing is, I mentioned this kind of earlier, but I want to reemphasize it. We are all so different. One of the reasons I love things like astrology or human design, or I've been recently getting into the gene keys or even some personality typology tests, even though some of them are kind of problematic, is it reminds us how differently we're all built right? We all have different skill sets, capacities, innate gifts and talents. Some of us are better communicators. Some of us are better artists. Like by wanting everyone to be the way we want them to be, we were making ourselves think we need to be some other way than we are, right? By everyone complying to the author, Audre Lorde, speaker, thinker, writer, amazing person called this mythical norms. Again, we waste so much time trying to be things we're not instead of figuring out who am I, how am I built, like what what method, pathway, whatever is gonna work best for me. And then we get so upset with other people who don't fall in line with what we think is best instead of going, oh, we're all so different, we're all so unique. And what's amazing about this is we really need each other because the laundry list of things that I really suck at, there's people who are amazing at those things. Yeah. The, the laundry list of things that I hate doing, there's people who love doing that stuff. Absolutely. So, and this is why we're built to be more collective, more communal, right? So because we're missing out on humility, curiosity, these are the things. A lot of people will say the opposite of fear is love. I'm like, no, you want to combat fear? Get curious about shit. Oh, I crap. I don't know if I could curse on your show. Sorry. Absolutely. Um, Go ahead. Okay, great. <laughs> Get curious about stuff and then work on your faith. 
work on your faith, like exactly what I said. If this is happening, it's what needs to be happening. And the reason I say it that way, instead of coming back to that thing, it actually is wildly inappropriate. For example, say someone goes through a tragedy, someone dies. Well, everything happens for a reason. That might be true, but that is not the time to say that to someone, right? When someone is in fresh trauma, tragedy, grief, like that is not the time to be dropping platitudes like that on people. But later on, when they're in a place to reflect and mine their experience and what has happened, okay, maybe we look at it from that way. And listen, maybe it's useful, maybe it's not, because not everything that is true is always useful. Um, so again, I think a lot of people, because our a lot of our cultures, and this is not, I'm in the US, but this is this is pretty pervasive in a lot of places, are so individualistic. People think they need to do and figure out everything on their own. And if they don't, they're a failure. People think they need to have it all. We don't all need to have it all. Okay, that's amazing. And you said something about humility and curiosity and the absence of, I think, both of those things can really mean limitations that would get very difficult for us to get past unless we have those two qualities. And I have to ask you, do you think that people who are not religious, people who don't have faith, people who are not spiritual can do that, can get past all of these limitations? Do you think? Because I, I really do wonder. I don't know very many people. I, I don't think I know really anyone who is either not religious or not spiritual. Like all of my, my entire social circle is made up of people who are either religious or spiritual. So I don't really know the answer to this. But if you don't have either of those two things, can you still make it? Like, can you still have some kind of ascension in your life? I want to say I cannot speak to this definitively because like you, I don't have a ton of people in my life who are that way. But I do have some, including some really close people. And my observation from my very small sampling of people to observe is they struggle because then everything is reliant upon them. Yeah. There's no greater force to commune with or even the idea of like the great mystery that like some divine orchestration is happening and also no possibility of like miracles or like synchronicity, the inexplicable. Um, I've Because personally for me, I find that having a spiritual orientation brings a lot of like wonder and awe and curiosity into my life. And also a feeling of, I don't need to figure it all out because it's not even possible to. Because like, what's really going on here is so much more beyond than anything I'm ever gonna be able to understand. Um, and this is actually one of the reasons why I distinguish between like energy work and spiritual work. Because some people who are like atheist or agnostic, they can get down with energy, right? So. This is also one of the reasons why I'm never dogmatic about anything. Even in my communities, I'm like, listen, you don't have to have a certain spiritual orientation. If you're religious, if you're not, whatever. I do I do tell people, if you don't believe in anything, you're probably not going to like it here because we talk about that all the time. Yeah. So if, if, if you're comfortable with just sussing out all that stuff, please come. But, you know, we have people who aren't into astrology or this or that or whatever, or who are really into energy or who are really into creativity. And here's also the thing, we're so obsessed with having like language and systems for stuff. Some people who say they don't believe in anything behave so spiritually, you know what I mean? Like 
they're connected to nature or they're artists or they're creatives. And it's like, where do you think that stuff comes from? But here's my thing. I don't care what people call anything. I care, does it make them feel significant? Does it give them an outlet for their energy? Do they feel supported? Do they feel worthy? Like that's the stuff I care about and how people get there or what they call it. I don't care about that, right? So, but to answer your bigger question, I really do notice again among the small sampling that there's there's a lot more struggle because they need to make logical sense of things that don't make logical sense. And they'll, oftentimes they'll turn it in on themselves or the amount of pressure they're putting on themselves because they feel like they need to do everything themselves makes things more challenging. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I have to ask, like, this is for the benefit of my listeners, because I think we, as you said, we have to be a lot more fluid as we move through life. We have to be, we have to, I think it is a fact that you know very little, regardless of how much you've read, regardless of how much you've experienced. Seriously. You know very little. So I think the thing with it now is that we all, most people are now pursuing conviction because they think you have to have conviction if you are going to make anything of yourself, especially if you're like on the digital bandwidth, which everyone is now, everyone has something going on online. So we all need conviction. And I listen to people, like especially journalists, who seem to create all of the controversies and then people join in and then it spirals from there. And I notice that these people have the kind of conviction that to me at least is completely alien. I have never had conviction like that and I find it extremely dangerous. But my question, and this is for the benefit of my listeners, is when we pursue conviction of that nature, when we then use that conviction to put forth our opinions and our views. I often notice that while we are advocating for something that allows for our expression, we are invalidating someone else's expression and someone else's existence. And I feel like that corrupts your energy, that has some kind of, like it creates blockages, like the kind of blockages that you don't see, but that have very amplified negative impacts on you. But yeah, yeah. this is something I would not touch because I, I feel like I don't have enough knowledge here. But I would love for you to, I would love your to hear your opinion on this. So what you're talking about is rigidity, right? And, and you're saying conviction, but often the most convicted people are also the most myopic. They're the most narrow-minded. Um, and you know, I have people in my family like this. I have some very, like, extremely Christian, like, very rigid people in their beliefs. And what's interesting is there are certainly some like absolute truths we can all agree upon about right and wrong, right? Um, but then there's like all these other things that certain belief systems or convictions or whatever would say, this is good, this is bad, this this means this, that means that. And they're, they're, it's like laden with false equivalencies, laden with not really understanding, like you see it here, um, in the U.S. right now, you know, some of these states are bringing in like very, very, very transphobic and homophobic legislation. But when you actually zoom out and look at, does having drag queens harm children anywhere? The answer is no, right? Does gay people getting married harm anyone anywhere? The answer is no. It just doesn't, right? Like, 
And then when we look again at an example in the U.S., all these stupid gun laws that we don't have. Yeah, people are getting harmed constantly, but people don't want to look at that because we have rights. There's a Second Amendment. It's like, but you guys, people are getting hurt because of this. People are not getting hurt because of this. You've decided that these certain things mean this, but there's no evidence to support it. So this is why we need humility. Because when we bump into something we didn't know we didn't know, or when we realize we were just wrong about something, humility allows us to be like, ah, I was wrong about that. Or, ah, you know what? That doesn't actually make sense. It allows us to pivot. It allows us to change our minds. It allows us to form new opinions, right? To just, and this is the whole purpose of being here to grow and learn and expand and shift and change and and commune and relate and like build and grow and do things together, right? Not just to be right, not just to dominate. And so a lot of these convictions, they come from needing to be right, needing to dominate, like hierarchy, patriarchy, like it's all, again, these systems of oppression and supremacy. Instead of being like, wow, Look at how incredible people are. Look at how unique. Look at, listen, you might feel that way. Great. I don't agree with that, but like, I don't need to dehumanize you. And that's what all of this is that you're talking about. It's very dehumanizing. And it's it's very, and, and hierarchical. That shit drives me nuts. Because I'm like, I don't have to like it. Great. Then I don't need to like be around that. Like this again comes back to the actions, behaviors, choices. Cool. I'm not into it. I was having a conversation with my mom last night. Like, there's just like certain things and certain behaviors from certain people in my family. I'm like, I'm just not into that. So I'm not going to be around it. Like, why would I spend time? Why would I expose like, like this person always wants to like control me or try to change my mind about something. I'm not interested in that because they're, they're not actually interested in learning about me. I have an aunt like this who was always like sending me like Christian stuff. And I'm like, I'm not Christian anymore. Listen, I love, have a lot of love. For Jesus, Mother Mary, Mary Magdalene, the stories in the Bible, I think there's beautiful, there's still a lot of stuff to learn, but it's the religion I'm not into. So leave me alone about that because I'm not out here trying to convince you to not be Christian. I'm like, great, that's your belief system. That makes you feel good. That gives you purpose, meaning, access to God. Great, choose choose your pathway, but let's all just respect that there's so many different pathways and leave people alone on theirs, you know? Um, I was writing down when you were talking, I'm like, I'm going to forget what I wanted to say. So that I said that part. That's why we need humility. Because like you said, even even someone like me, who's such a nerd, how many books that I read in my life, classes, courses, whatever. I know a lot of stuff. As much as I know, there's a bajillion times more that I'll never know. And I think that's also the dangerous. That's like the hubris of being a human, right? People really do think that they know enough or more than they do or what's better for other people like how could I possibly know so all my work in the school the methods the frameworks model everything is about giving people maps to their own answers because I can't possibly know better for someone else than they know for themselves I can have ideas but I'm constantly like try it on you have to experiment, see how it works. Because then here's also the thing. We're always in different phases, stages, seasons, and cycles of our lives. So what works now, what's appropriate now, might not be. Even a couple months or a couple years from now, 
Absolutely. I do find it very strange that while we advocate so vociferously for our perspectives, we don't even want to consider that the other perspective can be just as valid. And it is. In certain scenarios, perhaps your perspective is valid, but in certain other scenarios, the other perspective is just as valid, if not mm-hmm. more. So yes, I do find that to be a barrier. And I think that's also one of the reasons why we constantly overcorrect, why there is this complete absence of balance in the world. It is because of our lack of humility, because we so want to, like so clearly want to structure everything and then fight for that. Like that is the mountain we want to die on, right? That's what they say. That's the expression, I think. So we we are constantly doing that. And okay, so the self-love narrative that we now have in the world this might not not everybody might I'm pretty sure no one would like to hear this but I find that very condescending the way that narrative is set up now wherein we are telling people to love there is a barrier against anyone saying fix it like I use the word fixing ourselves Uh, I use those terms and right away I got this response in a Facebook group where like please don't use that terminology And I'm like, what the fuck does it matter what terminology I'm using? I've been talking for the past 45 minutes. Clearly, you know what I'm talking about. Those 45 minutes should have clarified my sentence, my my stand. What does it matter that I said fix it? Nobody needs to be fixed. I'm I'm sorry, but so many people do need to do need help. They do do need to improve. You're like, I I disagree. I disagree. I I find that so extremely dangerous and all of that is wrapped up in this self-love narrative which is being pitched as this amazing thing that's going to alter the world for the better and I feel like this is doing more damage than anything else because either you have this kind of crazy conviction where you attack people like you know you you forget that they're human beings with actual feelings and on the other hand you are validating things where people actually do need help and like I see this in again in US, this is happening in with so far as body positivity is concerned, they've taken it too far, where it's constantly like there are people who need help, they need to lose weight. It's so dangerous for them. But we refuse to use the word fat, we refuse to use the word overweight, even even overweight is not appropriate anymore. And I find this so strange. So why is it people are so defensive about so many things? So much of it has become unacceptable. And yet when there are, like you said, people are getting shot at, people are actually getting hurt. We want to do so little. Like very recently, I think, again, it was in US where kids, young kids chained themselves to expensive paintings, expensive art. They defaced that art, which I found to be such a huge tragedy that you just ruined someone's work. And to me, that is just astonishing. And they're tearing down structures that, exist for a reason and that keep people safe there is so much chaos and I can't help but keep going back to that self-love narrative that is so dangerous but it has been packaged in a way that makes it look so non-threatening so what you're speaking to and I agree with you is extremely problematic is a culture of coddling right because self-love actually is super potent and powerful I have a self-love framework And my framework is self-awareness, self-knowledge, self-acceptance, self-trust, and self-respect, right? Because I think I used this term earlier, but with along with the coddling is is a lot of bypassing, right? Like people want to be like, you just need to love yourself no matter what. And my thing is this, 
a lot of people aren't going to do that because a lot of people have a lot of issues with themselves. And I, again, it's, this is semantics to me. If you want to use the word fix, great. If you don't, don't. The thing I don't want people doing is treating themselves like a constant like fixer-upper, like a self-improvement project. Like there's always something to work on. I'm never going to be okay. Because here's the thing. If you go through life doing all this work on yourself, you should also go through life enjoying the fruits of your labor and being the person you've worked so hard to become, right? You need breaks, just like we need rest from everything else. You need rest and breaks from working on yourself. So not treating yourself like this broken project. I think that's why people don't like the word fix because it implies that something is broken and not at any, sometimes things are broken, right? And sometimes it's just that something's out of order, something's out of sorts. So, but my thing is use the language that works for you. If you want to, if fix works for you, use fix. But but then here's the other thing. Acknowledge. This is, this is all it takes. Acknowledge that this might not resonate. This is how I describe it. Might not resonate for you. Choose your own word. Right? That's inclusivity, right? That's That's not trying to put your way on other people all the time. Right. It's like so for me, here's here's what I find is the benefit of self-love, especially when we break it down into my my framework. Right. Because then we can go, oh, it's not loving for me to not be self-aware, because honestly, and here's also a perspective I share the word self. If we replaced it with soul, loving ourselves is really just about connecting to and allowing our soul to take up more space in our lives letting our personality like calm down and take up a little less room, right? Because a lot of that, that's programmed, that's socialized, that's conditioned, right? That shit's not doing us many favors, but the soul, like to come back to where we even started the conversation, allowing that wisdom to come through, right? Which anything that comes from your soul is going to inherently be more loving, more compassionate, more oriented towards joy, creativity, connection, it's going to leave room for grace so you don't you can be more receptive you don't feel like you have to do everything yourself everything's on your shoulders and therefore you don't have to take everything so personally cuz this is where people really beat themselves up if something doesn't go well what's wrong with me why can't i do this it's like that shit just didn't work let me keep it moving do something else take my lessons and keep going right with self knowledge that's where we really get to learn who am i how am i built what are my values? What are my priorities? And then focus on those things because we're inundated. There's too much stuff to focus on. We could all be constantly distracted by things that's not ours to do or be or have, right? Self-acceptance I love because this is where the compassion and the forgiveness work comes in, right? Because we all we all have things we could look back on and feel embarrassed about, humiliated, regret, wish it wouldn't have happened, or we're so angry that it did happen, right? And this includes some of the trauma, tragedy, stuff that has happened to us that we couldn't control. It's like, well, do you want to let it continue to control your life by being angry or upset about it forever? Or do you want to figure out how you can let go of it and move on in a way that allows you to accept it, but not be obsessed with it and continue to dictate what's going to go on in your life? Because then they become things that didn't just happen once or in the past. You're dragging it along into your future. And then trust we talked about, that's so important to be able to trust ourselves. And then respect, acts of self-respect are how we behave like we love ourselves. And one of the reasons I love having a framework, and I tell people as well, 
I know this focuses on the self, but when we get better at treating ourselves and regarding ourselves better in these ways, guess what? We're automatically getting better at doing it with everybody else. And then what also happens, because what I don't like is some of these like absolutists, well, if you don't love yourself, you won't love anybody else, or nobody will be able to love you, or you won't be able to let people love you. Here's the thing. We are all loved in some way, shape, or form. Um, and it's different for everybody. But when you feel better within yourself, you're actually able to see, receive, and perceive all the love and care that is around you, right? When you feel shitty about yourself, you don't think you deserve it. So you do find ways, conscious or non, to push it away, right? So it's just also just about being able to be more receptive, be more open and relational and compassionate with yourselves and others. And again, when your actions, behaviors, and choices, your ABCs, just come from a much more loving, compassionate, peaceful place, life just feels better. We could let go of our attachments to all these things we think we need, right? Because that's the program conditioning. When I have this, when I do this, when someone chooses me, or when I become a mother, or when I get this career goal, or this house, that thing, whatever. So much of that stuff doesn't matter nearly as much as so many people think it does. But again, when you feel better from within, you're like, oh, I'm good. Like I don't need nearly as much as I thought I did to have a really satisfying, fulfilling or meaningful life, right? Which is, that's what people are pursuing. They wanna feel good about their existence. So for me, that's what self-love is about. You know, just being able to be honest about who you are, how you're built, what you want, what's real, what's not, what matters, what doesn't, and not bypass reality and not make it like a performance, right? Because some people you'll see, get I self-care, self-love, I'm getting a massage. It's like, okay, but like, how do you talk to yourself when you mess up? That's self-love. How are you with boundaries? Do you have courageous conversations? Do you handle the conflicts in your life or do you just bury it? It's like, Real self-love is like dealing with the real shit in your life. Yeah, I agree. And thank you so much for that. Because I think if we practice that kind of self-love, we would never be dismissive of other people. I don't think that would ever happen again. If you can actually practice that kind of self-love and actually see yourself in that kind of structure where you are acknowledging your you know, right to make mistakes, your mistakes itself, you're exploring yourself because I think the more we explore ourselves, the more we, you know, develop humility. I think you would also understand just that the same concepts that you're learning for yourself apply to other human beings. I think we would just be living in a much yes, more respectful, exactly. loving world. And well, I have because it's humanizing. It's it's humanizing work. It's like I'm a human. You're a human. I'm amazing at some things. I'm really shitty at some things. So are you. Like, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that would allow us to also admit to the fact that if someone has a completely opposite view on something that really, really matters to us, that opposite view is coming from some experience that they have had that we've never, we've not had, yeah. you know, for good yeah. or for bad, whatever that means in, in like the, in the grand scheme of things, that is all that it actually means in that moment. So I, I love what you shared, but I will also say this, like to me, self-love means when you are willing 
I think the very, when you're working on yourself actively, like trying to lose weight, trying to learn more, trying to uh, go to this class or trying to have that difficult conversation with a loved one, I think that is an act of love in itself. Because exactly. you are saying that I am worthy of improvement, I'm worthy of all this time and all this investment and all this energy. And I think that is something that has been like, that has not been made part of that narrative and it needs to be a part of that narrative. And listen, and all these things, and you mentioned earlier, Again, we are, we've really been in a long season of overcorrection, especially around, like you mentioned, things like fat phobia or this or that. Here's, here's what's true, though. There are a lot of things that don't always necessarily directly correlate the way people think they would. For example, someone who's overweight being unhealthy, right? There's plenty of people who weigh more than like the standard scale that a doctor or Western medicine has decided is good, but their tests are good, their organs are good, their blood work is good. Like some people, like body shape and size doesn't necessarily mean all the things we've been told it means across the board. And sometimes there is a correlation, right? Personally, I gained a bunch of weight over the course of my 30s. And there, I also did have some health issues, but my health issues, it's kind of like chicken and the egg, right? I wasn't eating really well. I was eating things that weren't good for my body, which affected my or my liver, my gallbladder and stuff like that, right? And I also gained weight because, because of the food choices I was making that inhibited my liver function, which that trickled into a lot of other things, right? But to say you need to lose weight, because here's the thing, I've changed my eating, I've gotten healthier, I've, I've switched a lot of things. I am now healthier. My weight hasn't necessarily shifted a whole bunch, but I'm healthier, right? So again, there's just a lot more nuance to a lot of things um, and complexity. And again, individual, like we are all, when I say we're so complex, our bodies also are too. Like even look at all the things we understand about bodies and then the infinite list of things that we absolutely don't, right? So it's just like the arrogance of like rolling up on a, like a bigger bodied person's Instagram post and being like, well, you're not healthy. Like I'm concerned for your health. No, you're not. You're not, right? Because you like ask questions. This is always my thing. And this has been my experience with that extreme aunt I have, right? That's why I'm such a big advocate of curiosity. My aunt sent me something like for Easter. And I was telling my mom, I'm like, why does she keep doing this? Why? She knows I'm not Christian. Why does she insist on shoving this down my throat? My mom was like, well, she loves you. I'm like, this isn't love. Because let me tell you, she's not called me in the last decade to ask how I am, to learn anything about me, to know. She doesn't know me. She doesn't know anything about me. All she knows is that I'm not Christian. And she has somehow taken some responsibility for my soul because she thinks I'm going to go to hell. I'm like, but that's not love. That's her own filtering everything through her own belief system. And that's just one example of seeing, by the way, I have nothing against like Christians who don't dehumanize people, right? <laughs> but that's not how my aunt is, you know? So if you're just using things to control people or you think your way is the best, that's not a great way to engage with folks. And I want those people, I would love for them 
to stop lying to themselves that they're doing it out of concern for anyone. Because if, if, if the only way you can express your concern is dehumanizing folks without actually knowing things about them, that's just a load of shit. Yes. Yes. But uh, see, this is exactly why I feel like either you are being patronizing when you're talking about self-love, 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 or the, there's the other extreme where you are attacking people. Hey, you're overweight. Hey, you are like you're fat, lose weight, or what are you doing? You're wasting your life. There is a middle ground here. As you said, ask questions. If I have a yeah, friend yeah. who is gaining a lot of weight, if I care about that friend, I am 100% going to ask, what's up, dude? What's going on? And maybe that person would tell me, oh, no, no, it's fine. It's all good because I'm just having have to focus on my business right now. So I'm not exercising so much. But as soon as my busy season is over, I'm going to go back to exercising. That's good with me. I don't, that is See, no longer my I concern. I would argue that that's actually not your business mm -hmm. unless they say something about it, you know? But I mean, it all depends. Like, again, nuance, relationship to relationship. Yeah. But like, because on the opposite end of that, when people are very thin, sometimes they're unhealthy. Like, they're unhealthy. it's, a, but again, there's so many factors. This is why I really am about let's just not comment on people's bodies. Like, Let's mind our friggin' business about that unless, you know, there's something very clear, obvious, a struggle or something like, like, are you okay? What's going on? Rather, a, a general question instead of, well, I noticed you gained some weight. Are you like, what's happened? Like, that's not because there's so many assumptions and biases with that, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I see your point here. I think like my friends and I, we hold each other accountable. We are always mm -hmm. like, we, I always say that I value people who criticize me more than I value people who are constantly saying positive things about me, constantly flattering me. I, I value people who have the guts, who would look me in the eye and actually have that difficult conversation because nobody wants to do that. You know, why go down that road? Why create unnecessary issues? So if somebody actually does that, they care about you. But of course, it depends a lot on the level of understanding you share with that person. Exactly. Because you yeah. might just say that question, have that conversation and walk away and leave that person feeling shitty about themselves. Yeah. So let's absolutely I'm not at all suggesting that you do that. I'm just saying that constantly telling someone who is obviously in distress because of how their life is going, and maybe you see it, maybe you don't, but constantly shoving this down that you're fine as you are, love yourself, love yourself, love yourself. Right, 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 right. That's not necessary. People are resilient. People are fucking totally. strong. Look at all the shit yeah. that we have survived. Why can't we just let people know that, hey, I'm your safe space if you need that kind of help? Let me know, yeah. buddy. And it's also, it's okay to not be okay all the time. Like, that's really Absolutely. the root of all this stuff. Like, there's, no one is okay all the time, right? And we can also experience many things at once. So, like, I'm a very joyful person. I'm very happy. I have a lot of peace in my life. And sometimes I'm upset. Sometimes I'm enraged. Like, we can hold many things at once. Yeah, that's that's so true. Um, okay, I usually ask like one weird question in the end. I love so, weird questions. I, I was planning to talk about soul a little bit because that's so much a part of your teachings. So I just wanted to know what do you think happens? Like, what do you think happens to our soul when we die? What happens to the body and the soul when we die? That's something that's very that I has my this. curiosity. And I want to know from you because I feel like you have more wisdom in this area than I do. Do you believe in ghosts? 
or is that just negative energy? Um, well, I believe when we die, I really do believe in reincarnation. So I believe, and honestly, here's the thing. I don't even know that I necessarily believe that like this life ends and new one might begin whenever, but I do believe that there has to be some place that souls go, right? Cause the body is, is, is impermanent, but the soul is infinite, right? So I don't know where souls go to hang out. Is it heaven? Is it not? I certainly don't believe in heaven and hell. I believe those things exist on earth. I believe we're actually creating them all the time, heaven or hell. Um, and I certainly do believe, I don't know about ghosts, but I believe in spirits for sure. Cause like I get visits from my grandpa, my uncle Lou, like, like my family does. Like we all, like we've had those experiences. And from years of working in the Akashic records, I've also had other people's loved ones like drop in and share messages. So I absolutely believe. And, and it's what's wild is these are people I don't know. So that's the thing. Like, confidence comes from evidence. I'm like, I believe in this because I've had experiences where there is no possible way I could have known this about a person. And it came through and I was like, hey, I think your aunt's here. And this is what she wanted me to tell you. Does that wow. sense? And this woman was like, oh my God, uh, yes. Like, that's what my aunt always like, there would be no way for me to know that about this person. So I absolutely do believe that there is relationship and communication with souls that have passed um i don't know where the hell they're hanging out or how it works but it's happening but not evil spirits like conjuring like ghosts no um here's what i here's what i believe that not all not all spirits or entities or energies are benevolent because here's the thing my favorite mystic carolyn mace talks about this if you're going to believe in 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 good and beautiful spirits and all that stuff, you got to believe in the other side of it because it exists, right? But and but how you choose to engage in it is the same, right? Like what you give your power to, like that's up to you, but let's acknowledge that of course the full spectrum exists. Okay, that keeps the world more interesting for us. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. I love that answer. Well, what do you know? We've reached the end of this episode. Thank you so much for joining me today, for supporting the podcast, and for sharing your time with me. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to the show on whatever podcast platform you love. You can also watch the video version of the interviews and most of the solo episodes on my YouTube channel. Link is in the episode description. Now, if you've made it this far, you must love the content at least a little bit, or maybe you just like hanging out with me, or there was something in this particular episode that resonated with you. Or maybe it's all of those things. I would love to know. So if you've got a minute, it will be great if you can drop a review on Apple Podcasts or you can send me your thoughts on the show via email. Now, if you want content that goes deeper than even the podcast does with a lot of real life stories, one-on-one -on -one interactions, or just become part of my tribe, subscribe to my weekly newsletter. The link is in the episode description. Once again, thank you so, so much for sharing your time with me. Take care and I will be back soon with the next episode.